Leonard here, and I know we all have a couple daily lists. You know what they are. The have-to-do list and the choose-to-do list. To make my daily choose-to-do list, you have to be special. And Papa's Roast Coffee is truly that special. That's why Papa's Roast Coffee is a regular choice of mine and so many others. Papa's Roast owners, Dean and Debbie Chris, take special care to provide a perfect roast on every bean. Sourced from a single origin, the coffee beans are roasted to perfection in small batches, and then, if that were not enough, the beans are packaged and shipped in an eco-friendly bag. Papa's Roast Coffee, from start to finish, has earned a place on my everyday choose-to-do list, and I think they will on yours too. Get your Papa's Roast Coffee at papasroast.com today. Now, to our conversation. Hey, welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee, and I am really excited about my friend coming on uh, our podcast today. Uh, His name is Jason Sattel, and Jason and I have been friends for a few years now, and uh, I want to say this about him. He can go ahead and uh, deflect it all later on, however he wants, Um, but I know very few people who have the gift that he has to identify human anguish and pain and brokenness and turn it into the gospel and a story of hope. Uh, I have read his book, Rescuer. Uh, I have given it away to multiple people as gifts. And I'm just really honored that he's here. Beyond that, uh, here's what Jason is. Jason is a friend. Um, And uh, we have enjoyed many laughs and many conversations together over a cup of coffee and occasionally a donut. Uh, We are also... um, uh, Jason is an amazing father and husband to his wife, Christy, and to his boys. And uh, he's raising uh, some pretty stellar young men. And uh, he's got a couple other kids that he brought in and made them his own as well, nephews and nieces. And um, he's just a guy who hears what Jesus says to do and does it. And so grateful. Jason, thanks for coming on, being on Say Yes and Become. Would you tell us whatever you want us to know about yourself? I think you hit it all there, Mr. Leonard Lee. Um, Yes, we've been friends for a long time. Yes, I wrote a little book. When you say you gave it away, at first I was suspicious because I thought maybe you didn't like it. But then when I heard you said it was a gift, all right, that warmed my heart. Um, You know, I'm just out here in California where we first met. And it's such a blessing to be on this show. Besides that, I used to be a fireman. Now I'm an author, speaker, podcaster, and hangouter at the beacher kind of guy. So there you go. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, Jason, the premise of our show is simply this. We are what we say yes to. And uh, when we say yes uh, to the beach, we end up surfers. And when we say yes to uh, to too many donuts, we end up, uh, well, a well-rounded person. Uh, and so God knows that. And he says to us, would you come be my friend, come be close to me, and would you join me? Because I have a lot of stuff I want done in this world. And so I always start the show to just kind of let it take us wherever we want to go is – I think there's some significant places in which you said yes to God uh, and that influenced the course of your life. And so could you give us uh, whatever you want to share about that question? Uh, What are some yeses you said and how has that shaped you? Well, you know, I'd have to say the first yes was coming onto this podcast, bro. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, I'm not kidding. It's a good thing. You know, I think my first yes came from just so many years of saying no and running from God, you Mm -hmm. know, spending my first 28 years just, I never hated him. I never shook a fist at him. 
I just never acknowledged him because I was so full of emptiness, loneliness, and hate. I tried to fill myself full of everything that this world said would make me feel better. And it never worked. And it's not going to work for anyone. And we all know that. And so the day I turned to him and finally said, yes, yes, I'm all in, you know, that's it. Because we talk about loving God, loving God, loving God. I'm also a huge believer from walking in the darkness for long, so long that we also need to stop and let God love us. You know, oh, and once I let God love me through the people around me, through the um, people he put in my life, through the experiences he let me have, that's when I said yes, because I saw goodness in all the darkness that I was walking through. So just saying yes to his love and letting him love me is probably the greatest yes I've ever said. Wow. You know what? I I um I know your story because you've told it to me. I know your story because you've you've written it out and I've read it and I've also listened to it. Um along the way, uh there was somebody special that you met and I it was a restaurant, but I'm just say it was at a bank or something like that. And uh 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 tell us a little bit about that story where the yes became uh started entering into your life. I could say yes to something. Right. So where I came was I was at a point in my life as an Oakland firefighter where, like I mentioned before, I was trying to fill myself with the fire department, the, my work, my busyness, helping other people. And it just wasn't working. And the emptiness inside of me was getting worse. And one night while out at dinner, I ran into a beautiful waitress and she just had a glow glow about her, a look about her, and a feeling about her that I'd never really noticed within anyone else, even though I'm sure other people have it, but my eyes were just so, so focused on this beautiful woman, and when we started talking, I was just like, wow, because even in the most minute little areas, the way that she was talking and acting lined up, meaning like if a kid dropped a fork, she went down, picked it up, and would bring him another one to smile, not just because it was her duties as a waitress, it was just something different like she'd been called to serve other people and it kind of made me start reflecting that wow i was called to serve other people too but for my entire life i was serving because i wanted to serve not because i was called to serve so i noticed something within her and again this didn't all just come me snap of the fingers at the moment this is looking back into it now and that woman a couple years later finally said yes to my I think eighth or ninth marriage proposal and we've been married for 20 years now and her name is Christy <laughs> well so persistence is a virtue uh yes yes yeah. yes, yes, yes definitely some <laughs> call it stalking I call it persistence you know persistence doesn't come with a with a felony charge um <laughs> so you know you're good to well, go 20 years ago it didn't <laughs> so so uh she finally says yes to marrying you. And uh, over the course of that time, um, you guys have had to figure out how to blend uh, uh, these lives together. One who is alive with just this gentle spirit and a guy who is a, uh, uh, an Oakland firefighter who, for whom gentleness may not be his primary tool. It's let's rescue right. people. Let's get them out of the fire. How would, have you guys blended those things? Well, you know, I kind of like, you know, the multiple conversations we have, I always say when there's something that the Bible says we must do, like there's something going on in our life. So we refer to the Bible, we refer to our elders and we talk to it. 
Sometimes people will bring an unbalanced approach, but the Bible from Genesis all the way to Indices, and yes, I know the Indices is Revelation, okay, but it's balanced. Each thing is balanced. It's not like, okay, I'm struggling here, so I'm going to go right over to Galatians and Paul says, do this. No, it balances out from in the beginning all the way through to in the end. And we got to find that balance of how God wants us to work our way through things. So the way that I explain it is my compassion hurts. <laughs> and, and it's true. Even in life, it's carried over. Meaning if someone's down in the street and they're dying and I'm putting a 14 gauge IV into their jugular vein, that hurts. Yeah. And I need them to stop moving. And I'm kind of voicers like, stop moving. And I'm giving you compassion. I'm forcing it on them because other people <laughs> would be like, I can't do that. It hurts. Whereas Christy comes onto the side and goes, hey, big, rough, gruff guy, your child skinned his knee. Don't tell him to man up and learn lessons from it right now. Give him the compassion he needs, you know, so we balance each other out. And again, when it comes <laughs> to my kids, I'm not rough and gruff and mean, but let's be honest. I do have, you know, 20 something years of the fire service within me. And so we balance each other out where sometimes I'll be honest. People will be so compassionate. They get so overly kind. The job isn't getting done. And I'm ripping yeah. my hair. I'm like, okay, Chris, be compassionate. Let's get to work a little here, you know? So that's how we balance each other out. And it's how it works in our family, raising our children, raising our niece and nephew that we adopted, you know, coming both coming from very broken families. God partnered the two of us up so we could balance one each one another out and go through the ministry he's given us in a way I think think honors him and I, I think that's how it works best for our family. Uh, you know what I, I have actually seen that and so I would uh, I would agree with you we always tell people that compassion is a combination of three things and it always leads to something it's a combination of God's uh, perfect love his righteous anger and the knowledge of what to do uh, and right. then it always leads to action and so when the Bible talks about compassion one of two things happens almost every time it talks about compassion, either a miracle happens or the cross happens. And uh, Jesus moved with compassion, takes up a cross and he walks into Jerusalem to that hill and dies. And so uh, it takes on different forms with our personalities, but it's certainly um, uh, some of us carry crosses for Jesus, uh, Simon, who, <laughs> all right, put it on me oh. back. You know, oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that statement, you know, and, and I always try to reflect back on is what would this world or even, you know, I'm going to be self-centered right now. Yeah. What would my life look like without Jesus? I mean, I just think about that. What would it look like? Yeah. And I know what it looks like because I lived that way for so long that when it comes to taking upon the cross, I want to say this humbly, but I'm like, I'm all in because I was in such a dark place for so long that now being in a place of light. I, I just can't not but serve him and carry whatever he gives me. You know, it, it's just a beautiful place to be. And it's doing it in a way that honors him, loves him, and and shows that I just am full of his love. So that's, I love how you look at it there. That's huge. There's a lot of process to it, isn't it? There's yeah. a lot. There's, it's yeah. just, I mean, we could go yeah. 10 hours on how to obey God. And, you know, <laughs> know that's not what we're here for. And stuff. But the other thing I'll say is, you know, when you and I first met, you know, I was a long time in the journey of my faith. And again, there too, it was balancing because I'm looking at reformed theology and this theology and this theology. And I think sometimes we get so locked up in theology that we get, we lose the, the true mission that we're 
called to, you know, and lately I've just been trying to reflect back on it, man, let, let's just follow him. Let's just obey him. Let's survive with him, you know? Yep. No, that's uh, the simplicity. We, I grew up in a pretty uh, reformed, uh, fundamental, uh, legalistic place. And we had a list of yeses that we had to say every day, you know, say yes to this and then holiness and everything else. And it was just so overwhelming for everyone that people quit. Uh, and so I started boiling it down. Let's just say yes to being close to God and ask yourself this question. What would a friend of God do in this moment? If Jesus was my right. friend, how would I live? And uh, not what would Jesus right. do, but how do I live if I'm really a friend of God right. and dive into figuring that out. Yeah. And then is there something Jesus wants done and has he equipped me to do it? Right. You know, is he calling right. me and asking me to do it? And that's where the premise of this but it show is, but it's more, it's more than that. It's actually how I try to live my whole life. You know, I'm just going to say yes to these two things and let everything else flow out of that. So you, uh, you meet Jesus, uh, this young gal, um, uh, you got a great story of, uh, entering into a church and, uh, from the first time until the time that, that something struck you, uh, would you mind telling those stories real quick? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. When I first, so I want to use the word racist, but I didn't like Christians, not for any more reason than I was treated rudely by a couple. But the problem is sometimes when a certain group of people treats us rudely, we now say they're all like that. It's so, it's so quick for us to do that. So when I went to church for the first time, I had my guard up because I had been treated roughly by Christians being told well, go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. And that was it. I'm like, wow, well, those are, that's pretty, pretty hardcore. And, and I never understood that there were thousands upon thousands of words that also went along with that, that showed the love, the righteousness, everything. So I walk, walk up to a church and I was at a bad point in my life. And the two greeters at, in front of the church turned me away because I wasn't dressed properly. And it was a very fundamental type of church legalistic and they were all in suits and ties and I showed up in my my shorts my uh t-shirt and they said you can't come in here dressed like that and you guys it just crushed me on so many levels when I say you guys I'm just talking to the audience mm -hmm. just watch how we talk to non-believers or believers alike because you don't know where they're at at that point in their life and at that moment I was a highly decorated Oakland firefighter I had awards hanging on my walls I was given a medal but I was at the lowest point in my life and I was being told I wasn't good enough to get inside to to get some of the goodness they had it's like these guys were the curtain they were they were the walls put back up and Leonard it crushed me to my soul when that happened to me mm -hmm. and it made me actually turn away and want to take my life and I don't want to go too far there and get too rough in that area but it was it was really rough. So when people hear the full story or read the story or see it coming out in the movie that's going to be coming up, what I tell them is don't get mad at those two guys. I'm not mad at them. What I want people to do is hold that story up as a mirror and look into their life and see if there's anything they are doing to turn people away from their own local church or the mm -hmm. faith as a whole. And that's the way I want to do it. Instead of spewing out hate for someone that was mean to me, I, I try to look for wow, is there a piece of them in me? And maybe I'm doing it to someone else in a, some sort of way. And so that's why I uh, tell that story. And I included that story in my book. Yeah. And well, and then you had another experience at church. It was just the opposite. Um, uh, what, what was that experience? 
that experience was crispy. We, I was, I was pretty rough at the time, and she basically, well, yeah, she threatened me. She said, "If you don't come to church with me, I'm going to break up with you." And we were both in love. I was like, "Wow!" Now, hear me out. Never once did she say you need to be a Christian. She said you need to come to church with me. So I'm freaking out. I go to church. I'm cold sweat. I'm trying to convince her, let's go somewhere else. Let me buy you some clothes. Let's just not go to church because of the experience I had. I figured it was going to be the same. But when we went to that church, I saw sincerity. And one thing I can recognize from my many years of responding to emergencies in all sorts of homes and different ethnicities is I can pick out sincerity. I can pick out sincere pain or, you know what, they're kind of fake in pain and we're not going to give them some pain relief right now medicine but i'll get into the hospital and in these folks i saw sincerity and the pastor who i didn't even know the pastor at the time he was interested in, in my story and it was really kind of cool which kind of made me then interested in his story and to speed it up uh, that's where i first started hearing the gospel message and it's kind of a, a good thing because when i look back at it and i ask chris i'm like why didn't you give me the gospel message She's like, you know, you're a six alarm fire and I'm little me. I needed to take you to where the resources were. And that's why she invited me to church because yeah. some people might be saying, why didn't Christy do it? Or why didn't someone else do it? Well, you know what? She knew her strengths and weaknesses and she knew I probably wasn't going to hear the gospel out of her, but combined with seeing it through her love and the words that were expressed through, through the church, it, it worked. And I'm not saying that's the end all and how it works for everyone, but that's the path that God put me on as he faithfully chased me. Wow. You know, um, it's funny because the seeing Jesus in others is really powerful. And you talk about being able to tell if somebody's faking it and you, you link that directly to pain, but I know you well enough to know you also have a gift to see if somebody's faking it in faith uh, to see if somebody's faking it in a lot and friendship in a lot of different ways. And uh, you hold that to a high standard that you commit yourself to with others. Um, and so you see, you see the gospel in Christie, and now you're in a church where you look around and there's an authentic community of people that say um, God's doing something here. Uh, and um, what was it in that community that communicated authenticity to you? That's an awesome question. And again, I always take things back to the firehouse. Mm -hmm. And in the firehouse, we could always see an authentic leader, meaning he was righteously appointed by God for the position he was in. And he was leading us in a way that you just see was like, wow, you can't describe it, but you can see it and feel it when you're on the fire ground. Right. Then and we would also have an appointed, notice the word righteous, because I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's someone who recognized that was their client from God, but a person was appointed to be our leader. And you can see all of their learning was they were doing everything they could to follow what the book says. And they were struggling. And then when it didn't work out, they'd puff up and use their authority to kind of mm. exert control over us. And I was actually in a church like that, but that's a whole nother story. Right. So anyways, when, when I recognize that, I, in the firehouse, I also bring it into the world. And when I looked at this person on stage, I didn't see this glow at him. I didn't see this. I just saw a leader that knew he had been called, was working hard to stay within his calling, but it flowed naturally because it was something higher than him. It wasn't like, oh, me, Jason, I was called to be a fireman. God called me to be a fireman. Now I'm going to use all the gifts and abilities he gave me to bless others. Well, I recognize that. 
from this gentleman in that church. And that's what gave it the authenticity. So it's kind of hard to explain, but I hope that example kind of helps out a little. No, that does. You speak of something powerful. Um, the influence a leader has on a community uh, that, you know, when the community of firemen in the firehouse have a leader that is authentic, the whole firehouse is impacted. Right. When a church has a leader that is authentic and 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 committed and called to be in that spot, it affects the whole church and creates an atmosphere. Uh, so yeah. now you're in this atmosphere. The pastor, uh, if I'm telling a little of your story that you didn't tell, forgive me. Uh, yeah, the pastor, no the pastor connects with you. Um, yes. He says some words to you that. Uh, um, how did those words break through your history? You know what it broke through was. It's so hard, I think, from the human mindset, and I don't want to get all Calvinistic here, whatever, I mean, but the true, you know, way of thinking of, it's all about me, I'm self-centered, uh, the, the depraved thing that it's, I was given all this stuff, he ch changed it when he started grilling me, because he knew he could after we we connected mm -hmm. over a tea, uh, which I call beer, but for the folks out there, we'll call it tea, uh, we, we connected, and he looked at me, and he said, tell me about the fire department. Why are you there? I said, I love helping people. He's also, you love helping people. Like, yeah. He's all about going to a burning building. Man, it's just going into a burning building. Number one, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. But number two, I get to help people. Like, okay, the key word here is I, I, I. Mm -hmm. Dude, and that hit me so hard because in the fire department, if a guy would use the term, I did this, I did that, I, 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 dude, we'd set him a table for one and be like, okay, hang out over there until you learn to be part of the crew okay and stuff and he's all jason hear me out he's all you're doing everything to benefit you have you ever thought that you've been called for this and that you're working for him and he didn't say god and jesus and all this i'm like what do you mean he's all well i basically put it, you're self-centered and i started getting a little mad I'm like i'm self-centered you're self-centered but he just <laughs> broke the gap you know, saying, Jason, hear me out, that if you do everything, you're the maker of your universe, all this stuff that you've talked about, me, I've talked about that I've failed on. But if God gives it to you, he's going to walk you through it. And if a failing happens, he's also going to teach you something through that. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, you are doing good things, but they're being poured into you to be done from God. And I want you to recognize that's why you're doing it. Give him the glory and stop being so self-centered. And I know that sounds hardcore and stuff, but I needed to hear that at that point in my life. And, and it, because there was an idolization that you recognize I had for the fire department an idolization I had for myself an idolization I had for this world. And he had to basically shake that world up and show me God in that conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the one of the conversations I have frequently with guys that I mentor is that when you ascribe nobility to your good works, uh, you're prideful. You know, I do these things because of I'm a good guy and I'm noble. Uh, that be, that has an easy way to slip in into the pride. Whereas when we describe things, and I've heard you say this, you know, and I'm going to put my words to what you've said. I'm just an unmade bed. You know, I'm a guy who's broken and I know what pain feels like. And I just don't want anybody else to feel that. I want people to know the rescue that I've had. That's when we become instruments of grace and truth to others. Uh, and you're, you've right. been doing that for as long as I've known you. Um, 
so you you have this confrontation or conversation that was abrupt and blunt and you needed to hear that um you trusted jesus you and christy got married uh and from that point on everything has been perfect right oh dude so perfect man i mean there's unicorns running around my house farting pixie dust i mean everything around here is beautiful <laughs> sorry you know, you know <laughs> i do i do it. <laughs> so anyways um let's break it down the day you know the, the wah moment I, it's so weird when i reflect back on the moment i became a christian i'm like wait where did it actually happen and i think a lot of us go through that you know the whole was the holy spirit within me so then i could recognize the holy scriptures or you know and i don't want to go there but there shortly after the conversation i had with that pastor i got trapped in a fire and i really thought i was going to die and the fear of being in the darkness and dying alone, separated, separated. Now, I'm not saying separated from Christy or the world or all this stuff, but because they were examples of God's love, not the world, but the people within it that were followers of Christ. I didn't want to be separate. I thought I'm going to die just as all this good things starting to happen. Then it clicked over. If I die now, I'm separated from God forever. Hmm. And the fear that overcame me at that moment shook me christy will even talk to you guys or talk to people and she does about the morning after that fire when she's checking me over and i have a few blisters on me and she could see me just i was like just shooken and i don't get shaken that much or if i do i keep it very very deep with inside me and don't yeah. show people but i couldn't stop it and i looked at her at that moment i said christy i i believe and people are like what'd she do and my beautiful wife said, duh, I knew you were Christian already. You know, so it was really kind of funny. Everyone's like <laughs> waiting for that movie ending. So when the movie comes out, we're going to make it a little more dramatic and stuff. But <laughs> what happened after that moment was I had clarity. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, the number one most important thing about the gospel message is eternity, becoming a child of God. It's not the here and now as much as the eternity, but hear me out. The here and now is the second hugest thing. And it's the biggest thing in my life right now yeah. because it's where I am and the clarity I now have because of following Christ mm -hmm. and seeing that things aren't my fault, why everything's so messed up. It's the biggest blessing of the here and now. Obviously, perfection is what I'm striving for when I get to heaven. I'm excited about that. But my priority right now is just telling people that there's something out there so much better than the crud that they're yeah. in right now. Yeah. The, um, the nature of our soul, because it's breathed into us by God as that it's eternal. Um, and so when God said, when God said, uh, the soul that the, the person who sins will die, he wasn't saying that your eternity will exist. He's saying that life will, ex will, will cease to exist. And so Ooh. when we, when we talk to people about, about the gospel, one of the things we always tell them is that you have an opportunity to, experience life forever or death forever uh death is separation from god life is in the presence of god and so it starts now but it keeps going because i am eternal as as a soul and is made in the image of god and you described that really well in your answers that uh, that life started right now it's here and now but it is also forever and so that's a great description yeah i don't i don't like the priority because you know you know, like people sometimes will say, well, the only reason you're saying yes is for your eternity to be saved. Well, that's selfish in my opinion. <laughs> Let's kind of think of that. Yeah, that's a benefit. That's the light, you know, and the light is all the fruits and obvious 
earthly heaven, eternity is the ultimate amazing fruit. But right now, God has placed a ton of fruit in the light for us that he wants us to stay in. And when we move over to the darkness, dude, there's nothing over there. It, it's just gross, nastiness, filth that may feel good for a moment. But then when you leave that and you slide back over to the light here on earth too, it's just amazing. And that's why I try to separate it out and tell people the here and now who God puts in front of you is the most important thing in your life right now. And how are you going to use that moment? How are you going to steward it? When, uh, Jason, when you look through the eyes of God, we know what it's like when we look through our own eyes, but when you look through the eyes of God and you see people, what do you see? You know, I, I see so many different things. I really do. I, I see pain, brokenness and sadness in all of us, but then I can also look at certain people and see them. They're hiding that pain, broken and sadness in other people. I see pure joy. But then also under that joint, I can see the brokenness. So basically put, I don't want to be a naysayer, but I side to where I see sadness, pain, and brokenness, even as we're walking in the light. And that's everyone. People say, well, why? Hold on. You're new in Christ. Well, I'm still toting this flesh that's craving everything God says I should not crave, as is everyone else. And when I look at people, the good, it's like a fire. If it's not burning, why would I respond? So right. I always look to the emergency, the burn, the pain, and try to recognize that and see where I can come alongside that person and help them. So I'm always as down as it sounds. Trust me, it's not because I'm an uplifting, fun guy, but I'm always trying to look for the hurt. When someone's speaking, I'm trying to think, where's this coming from? Yeah. What's driven them to say this? Even if it's a happy church, I even look at pastors they are speaking and when they're telling me, hey, the joy of heaven and the love of God, I'm looking in their life going, there's someplace in there where your life still isn't fully filled with it. And I know for a fact because mine isn't. And we need to work and strive as the brothers to try to help one another find that. Yeah. But I'm just always, well, I guess, is a simple answer, Leonard. I'm looking for the darkness in people. And I know that's wrong. Okay. But that's just <laughs> where I'm at because I've been geared to help those in need. Yeah. I have not been geared to help those who are doing fine. Um, you have said, uh, you've said in the past, um, uh, that, you know, you know, people are broken. Um, and, uh, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm gonna put words in your mouth. If you don't like them, just spit them out. Like you've never yeah, done that, that before. Um, uh, what I, what I hear you saying is this, is that, uh, uh, you're looking for a place for the light to fully, uh, enter somebody and it's not negative at all from where I sit. I think, oh man, what a what a positive way to see people, um, because when you when you say, we've had conversations about this over a cup of Starbucks. Um, when you say I'm looking and I see the darkness, you're not judging them. You're actually looking for a place where God's story that He's writing in your life, God's story that He's writing through Scripture, God's story. How can that story be written in them? And one of the most uh, generous things any follower of Jesus can do is invite somebody into the story of God, uh, that story of grace and truth, that gospel story, that story of rescue. Um, so um, let me shift gears a little bit in my in my question, because um, yeah. uh, I, I want to make sure that uh, people who are listening hear, hear this. Um, how much of your life that you live today when you were uh, dropping out of high school, sorry to give that away, 
and you, <laughs> you were struck, <laughs> when you were uh, trying to find your way and uh, lying about your tests uh, and everything to the fire department so you could get in. When all those things were taking place, and now you look at the life you live today, uh, how radically different is that? It's so radical because of my childhood and not having the resources that maybe some of the other folks around me had and not having the mentorship and parenting that other people had. It's so drastically different. It is Things have changed so much. But again, Leonard, what's so cool is I look back even when I was the biggest schmuck you could ever meet on the face of the earth and God was there. And God was tugging and pulling. He's throwing people at me. He's sending people and being so faithful. So the change is so much. But what I tell people, I'm still Jason. I'm still this dude that falls down, makes my wife mad, messes up as a dad, misinterprets scripture, gets mad at people who shouldn't be mad at. That's normal, dude. That's that's still within me. But the difference between then and now is this little thing called repentance that I make change mm. when I recognize or God makes it very clear to me I was wrong. He gives me a chance to change my ways, apologize, and make it better. Where before I was a Christian, uh, dude, I stayed angry, I stayed mad, and I never changed my ways. So that's mm. the difference now is I changed over becoming new. But as I'm also growing in Christ and fighting the good fight to the bitter end, and when I fail, I still get to repent, say sorry, and make things uh, right. And that that's a big change for me now from where I used to be. Oh, man, that's such a great answer. Um, too often in the world that we live in, um, and we've shared some circles uh, that are pretty harsh, um, repent always sounds like such an angry word. You know, it's like somebody, you don't even hear people say it kindly. But the word repent simply means to turn and go the other way. Right. And uh, what if it was a gentle word? What if it was a tender, compassionate word and a pleading almost? You are on the wrong road and you need to turn around. Um, if Well, because it's been used wrong in the church sometimes. I don't want to go too far off this, but when it's repentance, like, uh, and I want to say all pastors, but they'll repent, oh, you know, change your ways. Well, my thing is, let's go back to that balanced approach. Pastor, how are you supposed to approach someone who's older than you? Yeah. Are you supposed to approach someone who's younger than you? Yeah. How are you supposed to show them repentance as opposed to tell, you know, I hate telling, I hate that word telling mm -hmm. on the fire ground, I'll bark and order at you, but that's a whole different ball game. Right. But telling people you need change, show them, show me, walk with me, show me how, and do it in a fatherly, a motherly, uh, a childlike way, you know, cause that's the way the Bible says we're supposed to approach it when we're dealing with these folks. So yeah. sorry, I just had to. No, no, that's exactly where I was going. Because um, I think that uh, I think people respond to that differently, but they expect the other. You know, we go to church and we expect somebody to to grab us by the by the scruff of the neck and say, "You better repent." You know, sinners in the hands of an angry God, kind of a deal. Uh, when we have a father who is gentle and tender, who says, "Listen, I've given everything for you." Why am I going to stand at the door and yell at you now? You know, right. uh, come home. Yeah. Come home. You're welcome. I've, I've already got a ring and a robe ready for you. I've got a, I've been saving a calf just for the meal that celebrates your homecoming. Um, and I just right. love that uh, you, you live, you model that well. Um, except when pastors make you mad. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, and I've worked on that. But you know, the way I'm looking at it like this, Leonard, is imagine if I show up on the fire engine and someone's having, a, I wouldn't say a medical emergency. It's an emergency to them, but to me, it's a whole lot of nothing. They, you know, they need a few stitches. Well, imagine if I said to them when the ambulance pulled up, get in the ambulance. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's right. I'm giving them more. I need to get in the ambulance. But hear me out on this. Same patient. I now take him by the arm. Hey, I'm going to walk you out to the ambulance and they're going to get you to the hospital and you're going to yeah. get the care you need it. Yeah. I just ordered them out to the ambulance too. I just didn't say it in a rough, get in the ambulance. That's a jerk move. But when yeah. I walk them out to the ambulance and I put them in there and then before I close the doors, I say, hey, they're going to take you to the care that you need. Yeah. Bro, that's where differences are made. And that's where my struggle is in life. I don't like it when people just bark at other people when they're hurting. And like I said, everyone's hurting. Everyone is hurting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, I was speaking at a conference that was, uh, I was preaching like a preacher. And over the years, God used that a lot, but I'm speaking at a junior high conference and I started off that first session uh, and there's about five, 600 kids there and they're all 12, 13, 14 years old. And that first session is falling flat and I can feel it. You know, I, you, when you, you know, when you speak to a large a crowd, you know it. And, and I'm going, I am not connecting here. And uh, I finished and I, you know, I salvaged it and, or God salvaged it. And then I went back to my room and I just said, God, I'm not sure what's happening, but it's not the same thing as you had planned. Uh, can you help me? And, uh, and uh, God said, um, yes, uh, I can help you. Uh, you come across as an angry father and they already have one of those. Oh, snap. Yeah. Nice. And so why don't, why don't you change your tone? Well, mm -hmm. that next morning when I spoke, my tone was totally different. And, uh, and, uh, I spoke a few more times after that. And what the Holy spirit began to do was penetrate places that an angry father could not go, but right. a gentle friend mm -hmm. could. Uh, right. uh, and, and so I think you have understood that. Um, but there are some times when you need to look somebody in the eye and go, stop moving. It's going to hurt One, you. 100%. And I believe that. And it's the all things, all people think versus, and I don't want to get so in depth and start pulling out here, but why would I protect someone when they don't need protecting? Although I'm capable of doing it. Why would I punish someone when they don't need to be punished at the moment? When even though I'm capable of doing it, just because you're capable of something doesn't mean you need to use it. We catch a small house fire. I'm not bringing in the biggest line off the engine to put it out. I'm bringing the appropriate size line. And I think that's a great thing there when you're speaking to people like at that conference you just mm -hmm. mentioned and stuff, you're giving us those kids something they don't need. Now, maybe individually in their life, if you're discipling one of them, okay, that might be the time. But I hear what you're saying on that. And that's what I look for is just because I'm capable, they don't need that out of me right now. Yeah. And it drives certain people nuts because a lot of times they want to hear that out of you. Like, Jason, mm -hmm. tell us the worst, the worst. I'm like, no, nah, not right now. I'm, you're not ready for yeah. it. <laughs> you know? And so, and so, so I, I love that, that example that you use there. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. That. I, uh, thank you, my friend. I, we sometimes, we sometimes, I hear people say, I just need to come to church and get my butt kicked. And uh, I don't know anybody who says that consistently. <laughs> that that actually right. plays well during the week uh you know you, right. you you need to come to church and connect with god's people 
so that uh, together you can do more than you can do by yourself. That's not always a butt kicking. Sometimes that is just simple. Uh, hey, I need to speak grace into your soul because uh, you struggled this week right. and you need to know that God isn't mad. Um, and and right. even no, say that's, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's just a thought. Uh, and you, you, you have modeled that. Oh, no, uh, you know, we're wanting to, where I wanted to go with that is to me, I see the local church as a training division in the fire mm-hmm. department. Yes. Once a month, we all meet, obviously at the church, you can do it weekly, but we would all meet up, get trained up. And then we left there as important was for us to go get trained up. It was even more important for us to get back to our firehouses and use what we learned at the training division. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer in the local church and whatever their local church looks like. Cause I have different ideas now what the local church should look like or what I believe it looks like. But still, we have to meet up once a week. But as important as it is to get your butt there to church, it's also yeah. important to get your butt out of church and get to work with everything that you've been given mm-hmm. there. Yeah, that is a that is a, a quotable thing. Uh, and so if anybody's out there tweeting right now, uh, it's important to get your butt to church, but it's also important to get your butt out of church. I love I love the way you say that. Um, Jason, when... <laughs> when uh you say the church is a training ground um and uh in all my studies because i specialize in training pastors training churches to train their people uh for the for disciple making let's build that into the dna of our church or let's unleash that dna um and yet studies uh show that um the church uh, doesn't actually equip and train people very often um, why do you think there's a struggle there? <laughs> oh, you know what you're doing right now, Leonard. <laughs> I was giving you that question. Why no, do you think I, I got a smile? <laughs> right. Well, I believe the church's duty is to just create disciples. Like, think of it like this. I made some people very angry not too long ago because I said, you know what the church could learn from the fire department? And they said, what? I said, how to make disciples oh it blew up everywhere and then i you know me then i came back around and explained so i like get people mad then explain why but what that was was when we got a new kid in the fire department what did he do he raised his hand and took an oath you know he didn't swear to anyone else but he took an oath that he wanted to serve people so then we trained him and what was my job during that training was to turn him into me i'm not saying i'm jesus i'm not saying i'm christ i'm a follower of christ okay but in the fire department, it was to take a junior man and turn him into a senior man and teach him everything we've been taught, all the experiences, all the books we've read, everything in the church, be in your Bible, be in your studies, do all this. Now I'm now I'm barking at you guys and I'm preaching stuff. But what churches, in my opinion, have lost is they're so busy creating business that they've gotten away from creating disciples. And it's a struggle of mine because I get that we're a church here in America and things cost money and buildings. I get all that, but I don't ever think it should supersede our number one job is taking people and helping them become followers of Christ through our examples that God has already given us and passing it down like Paul was doing with people, you know? and everything and i think also as a new believer i was like this like i don't follow man forget that so i get that side too i followed jesus right i mean there's that hard-headed side but then god revealed to me over time know these men in your life and including some women in your life 
they have mentored you, they've taught you, they've discipled you. So I personally think we need to get away from terms like mentoring, terms like, you know, growth, the big bat mass debate and all that stuff. And just fall back into what does discipleship look like? And let, let's explore that. Let's grow into that. And I think that's where the most profound changes will happen in people's lives when we yeah. disciple them to become the Christian that God wants them to be. Man, I, I you're you're singing to to my choir at least. Uh, studies right. show yeah. that nine out of ten people who attend church on a Sunday morning are first generation disciples or followers of Jesus, meaning they've never been discipled. Uh, if you had 100 people, that's 90 that have never been discipled, leaves 10 who have. Of those 10 who have, eight out of those 10 were discipled by a ministry outside the church. Navigators, Youth for Christ, Young Life, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, so on and so on. And while I don't, I don't consider those people extra church, they're the body of Christ, but their ministry is specifically designed for something than the gathering. Um, and so that means the church right now as a whole, and this is, this is actually pretty global because I travel around the world and see this, um, uh, the church is effectively discipling about 2% of its people and the, the target is, is askew. So we, what COVID revealed from my perspective, I don't ask the question, what did COVID do to us? I ask, what did COVID reveal? COVID revealed that for so long, we've made the meeting the mission, not disciple-making. Let's make disciples who make disciples. And and we so often, and I think you know this, um, vision requires no training. Vision requires a plug and play. So if I have a vision, all I got to do is find the right people, put them into my vision. Mission requires training. And that's why, that's why uh, the fire department, law enforcement, athletes, musicians, military, they train people because they have a clear mission. Uh, their mission is clear. It's not a vision. It's a mission that is absolutely crystal clear why they exist and what they are supposed to do wherever they are. You know, it's uh, when I arrive, I know what my mission is here on this place and I'm trained to do it. Um, and I think that that's probably missing in the majority of the local churches right now. And I would say the reason it's missing is just my two cents is um, it's because that's not what we've trained pastors to do. Uh, our culture has trained pastors to grow a bigger meeting, uh, to have great meetings, to be the chief theologian. I've gone through Bible school all the way to its highest level. And I was trained to be the chief theologian in my church. I was not trained uh, to make disciples who make disciples. Uh, I was told I was trained to make people mature, but not to help them reproduce. And uh, and so what I shifted years and years ago was uh, let's build disciples who build disciples who build disciples and trust the maturity is not a goal, but a byproduct. Uh, yeah. As they move through this journey of following Jesus, they will mature. Just like when you and Christy met, the love that you share today is much more mature than it was when it started. We hope. Um, and the love that I have with Jesus, <laughs> not, not on Thursdays, um, but the love that I have for Jesus, uh, because I have joined him in what he wants done, has allowed that love to mature. But it's not, it, it, shot, it stopped short when I say maturity is my goal, because, well, now that I'm mature, what else do I do? 
and how do you measure that right. and so on. But anyhow, um, so as you are, as you are walking through this journey now, you, uh, you have uh, found Jesus or he found you. Uh, you've married an amazing uh, woman. And I would a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, everything I know about uh, Christy is good. Um, uh, God's put you and he's given you a completely different life than you've had. Um, can you tell uh, anybody listening a little bit about the ministry you have today? Um, and uh, I want I want you to uh, tell them a little bit about uh, about this um, because this is an amazing, amazing. Uh, uh, it's a Jesus story, is what it is. Uh, it's a Jesus story told through somebody who bears the image of God. And uh, I heard, I listened to it, and I've read it both. Um, and I don't give away a lot of books. Uh, um, but I've given this away to quite a few people, uh, who I just simply say, uh, this is a, this is a Jesus story, uh, told in a way that, um, it's going to become your story if you listen well. Uh, and, uh, so tell us what it is, how God is using, what's he got you up to in this time frame? Well, thank you. First off, thanks for saying that, man. You know, the hardest part about writing a book, especially a memoir, is you're opening your life up to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I wasn't mature enough the day I wrote that. My God, God made me mature through it. Okay. Because yeah. there's a lot of people will enter your life. And now that they're have tools formed against you that from your your past and everything, they'll come at you. But now it's like, okay, no big deal. But anyways, thank you for uh saying things about you know writing my book and memoir. Where is my ministry now? I'm going to break that down for you in a couple different things. I have a far-reaching ministry, which is done online, done through books. There's a, I'm going to be writing devotionals now through a day spring. There's going to be a movie coming out in a couple of years about the rescuer and the story of the life that God has given me. That's all far-reaching. It's cool. It's fun. But there's a yeah. rumor, Jason, going out around right now that you put the the timeline of the movie out a couple years because by then I'll be too old to play your part. Yeah. You know, I think you'd play the perfect part of that homeless guy. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> or if we bring Santa Claus into the equation, you know, since there's oh, oh, oh. Christmas, you know, no. yeah. but um, yeah. So that's far reaching. And the way I look at it, if someone can walk away from a story of testimony, walk away from something feeling positive, feeling the change. And then God can use that in some way, shape or form to help them either grow closer to him, his son, or draw them to him. Hey, praise God. That's awesome. That's my far reaching ministry. And it's a fun, but challenging one, as you know, now people say, what's your local ministry look like? Well, lately I don't show that anymore. I've actually huddled in when it comes to my local ministry, because it's just that it's local. So locally, what do I do? I disciple two guys. Mm. I meet up with them. I chat with them. And I'm making a positive impact in their life. And that's my local ministry. When it comes to church, I'm really reevaluating what church looks like. I'm not reevaluating what faith looks like or what scripture looks like. But I'm looking at a Christian community with a home church type of atmosphere. This Mm -hmm. is my church is where people meet up. But man, I have these amazing churches a half block 
block away from me or a few miles away from me where I can also meet up and train up and learn from their elders, but have my select group elders. So my local ministry has actually kind of, I've, I've huddled it up, but I'm not hiding it because that's not fair. But for so long, I've made my, I've combined my local ministry and my outreach. I've made them all one and it hasn't worked whatsoever. Mm. And so that's where we're at right now that, you know, on some Sundays, is churches here at home and we have yeah. direct eldership over us me being yeah. one of them too yeah then on certain Sundays, we're like hey let's go listen to my brother over here speak at his brick and mortar church and again yeah. i'm not telling people to leave their local church take on my thing or i'm doing something amazing here but what i'm doing is i've been spending so much time in the book of acts and mm. re-figuring what the church in the book of acts really looked like to me, I'm again, yeah. I'm not trying to tell everyone else because I know people are freaking out right now. Me, but that's what my ministry looks like. And the other thing is when it comes to publishing and movie things, I look at that as hey, they're not Christian per se. There's no such thing as a Christian production company, but there's Christians who run a production company. Yeah. So I go there and I say, All right, God, how can I use this to bless the multitude? How can I use this and steward it in a way that you want me to, that is going to continue the mission that you've given me. Then once I'm done with that, I come home and I hang out with, with my local family. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at ministry right now. And stuff. so no, I love that. I think those are uh, healthy expressions of listening to God. Um, there is no uh, brick and mortar prescription for church. Uh, it's a people who gather. They're the called out ones who gather and where we do that is um, uh, is uh, various throughout history. It's been in underground places. It's been on rooftops. It's been in fields. Uh, you know, I was in Cambodia, and they said we're going to church this morning. And I said, okay, let's go. We drove for about an hour, and uh, we pulled up to just this huge empty field. There's nothing around. There's a couple little farmhouses in the distance, and we started walking through this plowed field. And uh, I'm a little bit, uh, I mean, I'm pretty savvy as a traveler. So I know we're going somewhere different. Um, And uh, I see off in the distance and I see a a giant tree. I don't even know what kind of tree it was, but it was just in the middle of a field. And I said, is that church this morning? They said, you know, yeah. And by the time we got there, there was about 20, 25 Cambodians. By the time we finished, there was about 35 or 40 Cambodians all just brand new followers of Jesus. And we right. sang songs with their instruments. And it was always that, that minor chord. And it was just beautiful. And they sang, they sang <laughs> right. it in Khmer. And uh, then uh, we sat down and, and just told the story of God again and again every week. Um, so that these, these new followers of Jesus, can uh, they can't read or write. So they've got to know the story of God as it exists from Scripture. And uh, I thought, man, this is church. This is such a beautiful expression. And uh, it's so amazing. It's, it's, it, I want to catch up, but you're right. It's so amazing because when you look at worship and the way that we worship together, it's not, it, it's balanced. It doesn't all have to be in song alone. There's so right. many other ways to worship together, you know? And yeah. so, so I love that, man. I love that. It's so awesome. It was incredible. We spent about an hour and a half. Uh, then we shared a quick meal. Everybody took out of their the fold of their robe. They took out just a little parchment paper and and had unfolded just a biscuit or something. And 
I was uh, I was humbled. I felt like, man, I am standing here on holy ground. Uh, and uh, and also my feet went to sleep because I was sitting on the ground. But that's a different story, right. you know. No, I'm <laughs> down, dude. Cambodian biscuits and gravy and Jesus. Let's go, dude. I'm in. I'll take that. Oh yeah. Well, their their gravy is what they serve with the tarantulas. Um, so hey, I'll still eat. We'll we'll do it. Um, the uh, the one of the questions I always like to to start pointing towards our our wrap up is. Um, Nobody gets no, none of us get where we go alone. Uh, Jesus has a way of saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to have you stand on the shoulders of these people uh, who stood on the shoulders of other people. So in one way to say it is there's some people who said yes to God that opened the door for you to say yes to God and uh, uh, very unique people, very different people. Uh, who are some of those folks that said yes or whose yeses are you standing on, Jason? You know, what's so cool, because I didn't put it in my book, because there was so much stuff I just didn't want to touch for safety reasons of the other quote characters who are actually real people that I worked with. But my crew, man, I, my captain, mm. he was a Christian. Mm. My engineer, he was a Christian. People on other shifts were Christians. And I never really recognized at the time because they didn't say it to me. Right. Now, the Christians in the fire department who did, well, my nickname was the Demon Seed and I would push them away. <laughs> but the ones who recognizes, they were the ones who loved on me the most because they got to know me. And so I would say it's the people who got to know me and connected with me and became a true friend of mine. That's where it's built upon it's not the loud, outwardly spoken Christians. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I just put it into context here. The loud, outwardly spoken Christians. I love y'all too. Okay, I want to be clear. But that is what worked for me because I'm a man of, I'm not a man of action. I'm a man that likes to see action. And I, I need to see action before I believe what yeah. people are saying. Yeah. You you uh, describe at times, uh, you experienced a lot of uh, anger growing up from other people. Uh, and usually that's loud. And, uh, my guess might be that, um, that loud, angry Christians still have a, they may have a role in someone else's life, but they certainly don't have a role in yours in pointing you to yes. Um, I think there's a time for loud and angry, but that's always been on the fire ground when I'm kicking in a door and yeah. yelling at a new freaking ladder to the window yeah. but but this is a slow burn we're working with here when we're dealing yeah. with christians why, why are we yelling well, let's take yeah. it down a notch you know is there heaven yes is there hell yes does hell suck yes it does do i believe in it 100 percent. but you guys let's slow it down just a notch and just yeah. love on people and that, that's my truth yeah. where i'm at right now all maturity call it stupidity it's just where i'm at right now no it's a good place to be because i think god brought you there we say uh what we I'm loud with my team, but I'm not loud with the people we serve. Uh, I might say to my team, this is urgent. Let's raise the bar of your urgency. Let's be direct. You need to get that right there. That's it's too much is at stake for you to phone it for in. Sure. But sure. when I'm serving somebody out there, I'm not loud typically um, unless I'm trying to snatch them directly from peril, right. you know, and right. that. Uh, but people see through and they go, that's authentic. 
Uh, that's awesome. No, well, I, I hear that. It's like when I'm training a new paramedic intern yeah. how to start IVs, and he's not, you know, I start yelling at him, not around anyone else, but in training, mm-hmm. like, bro, if you don't get this IV in it, that lady's going to die, and you're getting paid to save her life. So freaking pull it together. Right. Now, would you ever say that to a paramedic who is treating an 80 year old woman? Heck to the no. Time yeah. and place. You know, that's and, right. yeah, you and I have conversations on that. That's why I'm so, yeah. I get weird. I see certain things online because like that's a great seminary message why are you preaching that to the general public yeah yeah so what um different people hear god differently uh and um i always ask this question um what is uh what is something that you could say uh and i'll, I'll put it this way you can change it because i don't think you'll like the phrase uh, what's a pro tip for helping somebody else go, man, that's what God sounds like. Uh, because this is how I hear him. Now I can share this, this thing of how I hear God. How would you encourage somebody to hear the voice of God? Shut the hell up is what we need to do. Sorry about that. It's going to be deleted. Um, no, it's I not. Believe that because I'm a doctor is, you know, we need to just truly not in a Hallmarkish movie sort of way or a Christian-y sort of way. We just need to silence ourselves and silence the world around us and learn how to focus on Jesus mm. in silence. And that's where you're going to hear his voice. And then obviously I say, make sure what you're hearing lines up with his written word, <laughs> you know, because I've had God many a time tell me to move to Hollywood and go live that lifestyle, but that's not God when I open up my Bible. Yeah. But when I truly sit and I focus on the face of God, which I believe when we open up the Holy Scriptures, we're staring right into his face yeah. and then we meditate on his word and we sit silent with him. That's where he speaks to us. And that's, yeah. that's my honest opinion. Man, I love that. That is such good input uh, for anyone listening. Um, uh, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, sometimes we... Shut the heck up. Well, yes, uh, I like both of them. One's Hebrew, one's not. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, is there anything else... Uh, that you'd want to say to anybody listening, the majority of folks who are listening follow Jesus to one degree or another. Uh, they've been beaten down. They've been running uh, on a treadmill of life. Um, you're a man who has, uh, uh, through the grace and the goodness of God, been rescued um, and uh, been set on a different place, different path. Um, you're doing something that uh, God gifted you for, maybe even before the foundation of the world. Um, what kind of uh, input would you give to the person who's just listening right now going, well, that's his story, but it certainly could never be any part of mine. Um, how would you speak to that human? Well, I'm going to tell them right now, tap into the pain of your past and use mm-hmm. it to bless others. And the healing that you're going to find from that, it's going to be tenfold. Now, do it in a way that you can, a way that's comfortable, a way that God wants you to do it. Don't do it the way Leonard's telling you to do it. Don't do it the way I'm telling you to do it because we have not walked through that pain that you personally have or maybe in the midst. But I'm a true believer that God lets us experience all things because he now wants us to use them to help others. 
again, you will know when the time is right. Those around you aren't going to know when the time is right. So I don't want to heap any pressure on you, but I'm an avid believer of if he lets us experience anything, including the pain, which pain can dwell deep inside of us, use it to bless others and show them what he revealed to you and encourage them to do the same. Wow. You know, I don't think there's any better words to end on uh, this conversation on. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining me today. I am so grateful uh, that you've taken some time out of your busy schedule. I know you're a busy man. Um, I miss having coffee with you. And uh, next time I get out and do some deep sea fishing, um, I'll bring you some crab and some other fish too. And we'll try to, yeah, we'll try to get a time that works out best for us. Cause each time it's like, you're busy. I'm busy. And it's been kind of crazy, but bro, I so appreciate you and everyone at the podcast for having me on. I'm so excited to see how God is going to use this episode, brother. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, God bless you, my friend. And I can't wait till we're sitting face to face. You've just heard my conversation with my dear friend, Jason Sotel. I want to encourage you to get his book, Rescuer, One Firefighter's Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love That Saved Him. He alluded to the fact that that's going to be coming out as a movie in a couple years. A lot of stuff's happening with him because he knows how to tell a story of grace. If you want this book, if you have a first responder in your family or in your circle of friends, you want to get this book for them and you want to read it yourself. You can get it wherever books are sold, Amazon and all the other books stores. So grab one today.